Hello, Internet. I'm Stephen Harowitz, and I'll be your host for this episode of Campfire at Home, recorded here in St. Louis, Missouri. Almost every month, we gather at the campfire to hear stories about life and how we live it, from those everyday voices that live around us. Campfire at Home is how we bring that live storytelling experience to you, wherever you are. In this episode, I have something special for you, because we are remastering a few of our lost episodes. This episode is one of our first six campfires ever, before we even had a formal podcast. And for a long time, these episodes sat in an old SoundCloud account Campfire had. But it was clear we were doing those storytellers and their stories a disservice by not bringing them to this podcast you're listening to. We are proud to bring you a remastered version of these campfires. Let's head to the campfire to listen to Tara's stories answering the question, how do you make friends? Good morning. That was quite the introduction to follow up. How are you guys all doing this morning? Good. Good. I'm real awkward and I move a lot on the stage, so brace yourself for that. Uh, So I kind of got a really weird question to ask you. How do you make friends? No, literally. Look to the person to your left and right and kind of talk about it for a second. Tell them how you go about making friends in life. Gosh, I wish I'd have known you guys in elementary school, because you guys could have helped me figure out how to make friends. I was born in New Orleans. I moved to L.A. at 2, then moved to St. Louis at 8. It's hard to make a friend when you've lived at one place your entire life. It's even harder when you're the new kid. On top of that, I had moved from a racially diverse L.A. to West St. Louis County. (laughs) Everybody chuckles because everybody understands the picture I just painted for you. To say I stuck out like a sore thumb, well, that's an understatement. Kids picked at me. They called me names. County Brownie, Oreo. I felt rejected. All I wanted to do was make friends. Yet it seems as though as hard as I tried, my efforts were not matched. Who's had that feeling where they put their all out there and only be rejected? Anybody here? I hated that my parents decided to live in a 95% white neighborhood. I hated that when I would go visit my family in the South that lived in black communities, they would make fun of me for being proper. I hated that people told me I spoke differently. It seems like no matter where I lived or visited, I did not fit in. I could not control that I'm black. I could not control where I lived. And I could not control how I spoke. But most importantly, I could not control whether people wanted to be my friends or not. In elementary school, I spent a lot of times on the swings. For me, the swings were a safe place. It was my favorite part of the playground. It was there that I was able to fly as high as I could and see out over the entire playground. I felt connected. I could see the kids playing foursquare, running to the monkey bars, running onto the jungle gym. It was there that three black girls approached me. I thought they were coming over to swing with me, or even just be my friend, but I was wrong. So, these three girls were part of a program called the Voluntary Transportation Program, also known as the Desegregation Program. This program started in the 1980s as a way 
to help, to help a racially imbalanced St. Louis school system. You see, city schools were predominantly black, while county schools were predominantly white. This program was to help with that diversity and foster inclusion. Yet I learned that day that was not the case. These girls approached me and started to tease me. They made fun of me and said, you speak white, you dress white, why do you act so white? I did not know. I had no answers. I was just who I was. And then one girl looked me dead in the face and said, you're a nigger. I was hurt, I was shocked, and I was saddened. That night, around the dinner table, my dad, like most days, asked me about my day. He goes, did you turn in your homework? Yes. Do you have any homework for tomorrow that's due? Yeah, can you help me when we're done with dinner? Did you have any luck making friends today? No, I was called a nigger. Silence, followed by rapid questions. Did you tell a teacher? Where was the teacher at? How did this happen? Who is this child? The questions came so fast that the only question I heard was, who is this child? And I instantly blurted out, another black student. You see, my parents didn't expect that. And neither did I. I was sad and confused that another black girl could call me such a hateful word. I was shocked that someone who looked like me could reject me. You see, the desegregation program was supposed to bring people together. Instead, it had driven us apart. To say that the first five years of St. Louis were enjoyable, well, that's not the case. It was tough. It was hard to find my place. Then high school came, and I was determined. I made a plan. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to make friends. So I did what I, the only thing I could do. I got involved. I joined student council. I joined leadership groups. I tried out for the field hockey, lacrosse, basketball, and track team. My plan worked. I excelled. I was known as an involved academic athletic student. I identified myself as Tara the athlete, Tara the stellar student, Tara the involved child. It was through those things that I made friends, some of those friends who are still friends today. You see, I had to find my identity by putting myself out there, by taking a chance. Who in here has had to do that? Put yourself on the line in order to achieve something. High school was great. It was through those things that I enjoyed doing that I was able to meet one of my best friends. Her name's Genevieve. We were inseparable in high school. We spent hours on the phone, as most high schoolers do, talking about our family, our friend groups, sports, what we wanted next in life. After practices, we went to Steak and Shake and Sonic in the Valley most days. Lots of chili dogs were consumed. <laughs> but then, it was summer 2004. Genevieve was headed off to the University of Dayton, and I was headed off to Indiana University. For me, like so many people in this room, college is this whole new world. For me especially, it was a chance to redefine myself. I no longer had to be this over-involved, overachieving child. 
I was able to be who I wanted to be, which at the time I didn't know who that was. So, how did I go about doing it? Well, I was accepted to Indiana University in the fall of 2003. I started my freshman year in the fall of 2004. I was asked to not return in the summer of 2005. In the fall of 2005, I pretended to be a student. If anyone wants to know how to get kicked out of a university, I've got three things for you. Skip class, skip another class, and just skip all your classes. For extra credit, smoke a lot of weed and drink a lot of booze. You see, I was trying to be someone that I wasn't, all to fit in. I had made tons of friends that year. I had friends from all over the U.S. Sure, these were probably not the best friends, but I had a lot of them. I had achieved my goal. But before I could go back to Indiana that fall and be a fake student, I remember that summer day when the letter came in the mail. Dear Terry Nesbitt, you are on academic suspension and cannot register for any university courses for at least one full academic year. It can be challenging to turn around your academic performance, but we believe you can achieve your goals. Here at Indiana University, when a student is on critical probation, the student is in danger of dismissal. Unless the student gets a cumulative GPA of 2.0 or a semester GPA of 2.5 in the next term. In order to get back in good standing, Honestly, I wasn't surprised I got that letter. I wasn't even scared or concerned. In my head, I had rationalized it. Tons of people do college in five to six years. What's wrong with that? That wasn't the case for me. As that August came, I packed up my car like I was going back to school. My parents said goodbye and have a great semester. See you at the holiday. I waved and started my drive 230 miles back to Bloomington, Indiana. You see, what my parents didn't know is that I wasn't spending my days in class. I was spending them on my red couch, getting high with friends. I had spent so much time trying to make friends that I had hit rock bottom. And for everyone in this room, rock bottom looks different. For me, rock bottom was handcuffs around my wrist, being fingerprinted, and the clanking sound of the cell behind me. Think about that for a second. I had gotten a DUI because I was trying to fit in with people that I should not have been hanging out with. I had hit rock bottom. I returned back to St. Louis and so many of my friends had also made their journey back here or were living in other cities. And I was lost. I didn't know how to make friends now that I was back here as an adult, as so many people have experienced. You know, you either grow up here or you've moved here from another city and you don't know how to make new connections and meet new people. What I quickly realized, though, is there's three ways to make friends as an adult or in life. First, play kickball. Secondly, land the dream job. Third, flirt with the girl next door. 
But first of all, for kickball, I had to go back to recess. That's what kickball did for me. It allowed me to go back to the playground where I had been so rejected and make new friends, playing this game that we all played as kids, kickball. My best friend was on a team in Tower Grove Park that played on Sundays. It was awesome. We drank, we hung out, we won some games. We mostly lost, though, to be honest, but it was fun. It was there that I met the friend love of my life. Friend love. His name's Davey. He would sit on the sidelines in his flip-flops, khaki shorts, and North Face windbreaker and cheer us on. I remember it so vividly. When he spoke, he had this soft accent. You see, he's from the South, like myself, loves fried chicken, like myself, and has got a soft spot for his mama, like myself. We, we hit it off instantly. We became each other's best friends. We spoke about everything. In all honesty, he's a part of the reason why I became so comfortable with my sexuality. We were each other's plus ones. He also was the encouragement I needed back in the fall of 2011 when I had come across this dream job to work at Atomic Dust. It was through his support that he said, go for it. What do you got to lose? You're not doing anything you enjoy right now. Why not take a risk and, you know, make a mark? So I did. Atomic Dust has been like a family to me. It's through my work there that I've been able to make new friends, make long-lasting connections with people that I hold dear in my heart. It's also through there that I've been able to make a mark in the creative community and make even more friends and cast an even wider net to touch people's lives. It was the fall of 2012 when me and a guy friend decided to get a house in Maplewood. We were living up the street from Bottle Works and we thought it'd be a year of living together and a summer of partying. We called our house the Entertainer's Mansion because we both liked to party and entertain. I remember it, we were getting ready for a bonfire and barbecue one evening when I was having an afternoon Bud Select. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to go over and invite the cute girl next door over. You see, the cute girl next door had been the eye of my affection for a very long time. We would spend a lot of our time on that front porch, and she would get out of her car with her groceries in her hand, and I would always ask, what's for dinner? And she would normally say something smart back to me, all like, whatever's in the bag. And I would laugh. And I probably said this about 50 times to her, and she probably thought I was the most annoying person <laughs> on the face of the earth, which is probably a fair assumption. But I didn't care. So that afternoon, I walked from my driveway across her driveway, and I paused for a second and thought, I'm crazy. What am I doing? She's going to just slam the door in my face or just look around the corner and see my face and not answer the door. But I walked up her stairs, I extended my arm, and I pushed that doorbell. And I saw her come rounding around the back part of her hallway and walking down the hall, and she looked up and smirked. And when she opened the door, I go, Hi, I'm Tara. I live next door. <laughs> it's really, it was my best line I had. <laughs> and she goes, I know, you ask me what's for dinner all the time. And I go, well, we're having a bonfire later with some friends. You're more than welcome to come over. There'll be food and beer. Just hanging out, enjoying this beautiful weather. 
and she said, okay, I may pop over. It wasn't very hopeful. <laughs> it was about two hours into the party. The house was starting to fill up. People were having a good time when our front door opened, and it was her. She had come through that door, and my face just lit up from ear to ear. Needless to say, she was very resistant to date me. But as we all know, I can be very persistent. She's 25 years older than me, wiser, opinionated, kind, funny, and genuine. To me, she was everything I wanted and everything I still want. I remember I told her, I've fallen for you. And she goes, you can't do that. I'm 25 years older than you. <laughs> and then she said, well, I've fallen for you too. Fast forward three years, and I've made one of the best friends of my life. I've found a job that brings me so much meaning with people that I care about. And I've found love with one of my best friends. You see, it only takes one. One person to show you the city, one job to give your life meaning, one person to light your heart on fire. You never know when a random kickball game, a risky invitation to a bonfire, or even meeting someone here today could end up being an everlasting friendship. My road to here was not easy. In elementary school, I was rejected. In high school, I made my identity, and that didn't work out. And in college, I followed other people's identities, and we all know that didn't work out too well. My answers are not your answers. The road is not easy. Know that and believe that. Whether you're struggling to make friends now or have in the past, it's hard. But the best thing you can do is look to the person to your left or right and say, hello, my name is such and such. That's what I did. I finally started to be who I am, and that has allowed for me to make friends. Thank you. And that's a wrap. You can make sure to hear the other remastered Campfire at Home episodes by subscribing to Campfire at Home, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked what you heard and you're able, please leave a review. It helps others find our podcast and it supports our students. We'd love to have you come out to an event or take a class. You can visit campfire.com. That's C-M-P-F-R.com for all the details. And whether you live in St. Louis or nowhere nearby, there are ways to take classes and attend our events virtually. You can find out more at campfire.com. And again, that's cmpfr.com. As always, a big thank you to the Campfire team. The original producer on this episode, Jeanette Harris-Courts, our current podcast producer, Jeff Allen, who helped remaster the episodes, and everyone who volunteered at these Campfire events. Tonight's stories were recorded live at the Central Library in St. Louis, Missouri.
Thanks for listening to Campfire at Home. I've been your host, Stephen Harowitz. Until next time. Mm-hmm.